Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Brunch with Brent. Uh, I'm joined here today by Christophe uh, Lempeleur. He um, is VP of Growth at Linux Academy. He and I have chatted a little bit um, yesterday to get to know each other a little bit. And today we will some more. So um, hi, Christophe. How are you? Hey, Brent. Nice to be on the show. Thanks for having me here. I'm doing pretty good. I wanted to dive right into um, a little piece of your history because we chatted quickly about it yesterday and I was like, no, 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 stop. Uh, it's safe for the show. <laughs> um, and so that thing would be, you have a little bit of history in podcasting. And so why don't you give me a little taste of um, what that is? And I figured that's probably something you and I can relate on, right? So that, that's why I brought it up too. But the, so I started a show back in early 2016 called Scale Your Code. You can see it at scaleyourcode.com. And the main reason I started it is because I was going to the school at, this, at the time and trying to learn different programming languages, technology in general. I was very interested in cloud-based technologies, but there wasn't a lot covering those subjects in the degrees that I was pursuing around computer science, computer information systems, or even computer engineering. And so I was a little bit frustrated by that. I felt like there was a big gap in my education as a result of it. And so I started picking up books here and there and uh, very technical books, right? And I remember one of them was Scaling PHP Applications uh, by Steve Corona. He was the, the CTO at TwitPick, long gone company, but they scaled massive to massive heights, which was very interesting. And I was like, man, I wish I could talk to these people. They have such interesting stories. And then I had the idea, well, maybe I can bring them onto a podcast, interview them about their books, and just talk about that and, and go through it and see what it's like. And that's what I ended up doing. And I really, really enjoyed it. And so that's why I started the podcast. Filling your own sort of need is a great way to invent, not invent, but sort of um, start anything, right? Because like, well, I'm going to enjoy this. Uh, that was kind of self-serving for you, right? It's like, well, there, that's a gap that I want. Um, probably some other people are going to be interested in it. So how long did uh, you do the podcast for? Are you still doing it? Here and there, yes. We've paused on it just a little bit because there's a lot of other things going on and conflicting priorities. And so I want to make sure I focus my time in the right areas. But I went on for roughly about a year. Then I, I joined Linux Academy, and, and we can talk about that if you want, but joined the company LA. And after that, I continued it during nights and weekends. And it just, it became a, a heavy burden to do because I didn't have a team supporting it, right? So I had to do all the audio engineering, video engineering, and no notes and research and scheduling. And as you know, that takes up a lot of time. It's, it's a difficult job for one single person. And so I figured, okay, well, let me go ahead and pause on this a little bit. And if I see some great opportunities along the way, I can do one-off episodes, but otherwise we'll just kind of freeze the show and see how that goes. Uh, so I would say probably about a year, year and a half, maybe two years of activity. And then it's been a little bit dormant ever since then, but uh, who knows, maybe in the near future, it will resurrect. I don't know. Yeah, it's nice to have like a placeholder like that where you can just sort of invite someone if, if you need to, right? Um, you never know who you're going to meet. Um, I I can relate actually to where that started for you. I uh, did some CS um, in university here for about two years and had this idea of what it might be when I went into it and just saw that, you know, while I was learning Java and stuff like that, it wasn't quite what I was hoping for. So I can totally relate that in, in that you, that's sort of a similar experience to you, but uh, kudos to you for going and chasing sort of the gaps that were missing for you. And, and I'm sure you got to probably talk to some really fascinating people. 
Definitely. And it's funny you mentioned Java because that was such a heavy focus. I think that's the only programming language or one of the only two or three different programming languages that they covered in my CIS program in about four years worth of time, you know, outside of, of SQL and things like that. Yeah, same for me. One, I really didn't like Java. And two, when I read these other books about these amazing applications, you know, how does Reddit work? How does Facebook work? How do all these other platforms work? Most of them didn't really use Java a whole lot, or if they did, it was a very small subset of a much bigger picture. And so I thought, well, why aren't they teaching this other stuff? It makes you wonder, like, what the heck? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Why is this missing? I need to fill in this gaps, or otherwise, how am I going to get a competitive job? And so that's where that all came from, yeah. And so tell me a bit about some of the people you ended up chatting with. Oh, yeah. I talked to some really interesting people. Um, I was very blessed to, to get a lot of yeses. That was one of the concerns I had. And I talked to some friends when I was starting the podcast. And a lot of them would say, well, nobody's going to talk to you because we're talking about trade secrets here. Why would they share that information? It's it's private information. They probably can't even talk about it. And I thought, I, I, don't, I don't know. People really like talking about themselves. Let's see if I can get some yeses. And turns out I was able to get people like David Heinemeyer Henson, the founder of Basecamp, uh, and, and Ruby on Rails and, and CTO of Basecamp. Uh, I had Jeremy Edberg, who was one of the first, actually, he was the first full-time paid employee at Reddit. He was also an SRE or site reliability engineer at Netflix. Um, let's see, who else did I talk to? All kinds of really big names in the industry. Uh, even talked to um, somebody from, from Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange and, and a lot of other popular websites. Basically, what I was trying to do is find very interesting use cases that can either apply to a lot of other businesses and so people can get a lot of value out of it, or very specific use cases that may not apply to others. And that's why you never hear about how that works or how they built it out. And so they might be curious to learn more about it. Oh, that sounds so cool. You know, good for you for like reaching out and, and not listening to what is often like um, some fear maybe is like, no, everybody's just going to say no. Why would they talk to, to me who nobody really you know, you didn't have a name back then uh, like you do now. Right. So, um, good for you for reaching out. And, um, I think those people are just human beings like us, you know, they all started in the same place as we did, um, learning code and learning development and learning CS. Um, you have to start somewhere, right? So they're just somewhere different on the timeline. Absolutely. And so I'm sure for you, that was almost like a, a, a personal, training course that you threw yourself into not knowing where it would go um, but just having these connections with people and and uh, and being able to share that actually is probably uh, did that feel like a gift to give to the community as well absolutely and one of the important things that came out of that as you briefly touched on is it taught me some very important life skills that I still use to this day almost on a day-to-day -day basis and that is the ability to just reach out and and try things even if there's a high likelihood of failing at it just because the worst thing that can happen is that you fail at it and somebody says no. So what? Move on to somebody else. Try to get somebody else to come on the show. If they say no, that's totally fine. It's not a life-threatening thing at all. And a, a quick funny story on that, when I was reaching out to David Heinemeyer Hansen, I thought, there's no way this guy's going to say yes. He's a huge public figure. <laughs> He's very opinionated in interesting ways. This guy's just not even going to respond to me. And so I start writing my email. I'm in Gmail. And, and for some of you that use this shortcut, you'll know what I'm talking about where I think it's command return if you're on a Mac 
probably control uh, uh, enter for, for Windows. But I'm writing this email, I'm halfway through the email, and I accidentally hit the send email shortcut. <laughs> and so <laughs> this guy gets a half formulated email, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This guy's gonna think I'm an idiot. Like, there's no way he's going to say yes. And then so I, I quickly, I, I just type as fast as I can. I go, wow, I'm so sorry. I hit a shortcut. <laughs> Didn't mean to send that prematurely. Let me try again. And guess what? Within five minutes, I'm not even exaggerating, within five minutes, this guy who's, I'm sure, very, very busy and gets a lot of requests, within five minutes, he responds back and says, yes, absolutely, let's, let's set up a time to talk about it. And again, that was that was such a good life lesson of it doesn't matter how ridiculous you look. It doesn't matter. Just try it. The worst that could happen is they say no, and 10 years from now, you'll look back on it and you'll laugh your, your head off about it. So it's a great life lesson. That is a great story. I I imagine you you might have left him just hanging in the sense that like there's suspense there. So how could he not respond? <laughs> right? He wants to know the rest of it. <laughs> that is a good technique. I should probably try. I've never actually tried that <laughs> while well, well, meaning to try it. I don't know if it would work on everybody though. Probably not. <laughs> That's great. And then so I imagine you also got access to like just behind the scenes sort of conversations. And some of these people, are you still in contact with them by chance? Yes, I, I definitely try to stay in touch whenever I can provide value, which, again, is another really important skill that I think they, they don't teach enough in education, which is how do you develop networks? How do you stay in touch with people? And and you probably also have some great points with this since you're, you're in the podcasting area as well. But it's how do you stay in touch? How do you provide value? How do you develop these kinds of networks that you may not need to rely on right now, but maybe 10 years from now, they, that can become extremely helpful, or they might need something from you between then and now, and you can help them develop something or, or make connections. And that's one thing I found that I really enjoy, which is looking at different people in my network and seeing how they can help each other and connecting them when it makes sense. I found a lot of value and reward out of that. And that's something that, frankly, I don't think I could have done if I hadn't started a podcast because I'm not the most social person when it's outside of podcasting. I usually stay home. I play video games. I hang out with my wife and my dog. I don't really go to parties or to networking events all that often. And so podcasting was a very good way of meeting new people, making friends, making connections. And I think it's really powerful long-term. That's so cool. Like, I, I think there are different ways of being social. That's what I'm learning recently is that, um, you know, there's the classic, like, I don't know, going to the bar or going to big networking events and things like that. Right. Um, I imagine you might lean a little bit on the introverted side, just the way you describe that. Definitely. Yes. Same, same, same thing for me, which is, you know, I'm super happy to be home and to be learning all the time. That's a form of entertainment for me. Um, but there's this, thing I've discovered, um, I've been lucky with photography that, that it's true. And also with podcasting is sometimes when you have an excuse to connect with someone one-on-one, -on -one, um, with photography, often it's just, okay, well, someone asked us to get a photograph, but let's just hang out with a stranger one-on-one -on -one for an hour or two. Right. And podcasting is sort of the same in that, you know, well, this is a perfect example or what we're doing right now. Right. You and I have never met in person, although we're connecting a whole bunch on a whole bunch of topics just because it's sort of inevitable that we'll have some things in common. You just have to sort of spend the time to discover them. So it's crazy eh, for you how you launch yourself into a project and all of a sudden you've already gotten a whole bunch of life lesson nuggets out of something like that. It sounds amazing. 
And, and you mentioned this before we, we started recording, but I think it's also very important to point out, which is I used to listen to another podcast episode and still do from time to time, or not episode, podcast in general, called Mixergy, Mixergy.com. And it's it's a lot about founders and CEOs who started companies out of nothing and then built them to a certain level. And so I listened to that in my daily commute going to school, and, and I found that really interesting. But more importantly, I felt like I was really starting to understand the host of the show at a more personal level, even though the guy had never heard of me in his life, never knew who I was. I felt like I knew the guy at a much more personal level. And you kind of mentioned the same thing with Jupiter Broadcasting, listening to that podcast on a regular basis and feeling like you you knew the people on there, especially with Chris and everything like that. And so it, it's interesting how you can really get to to know someone and learn about someone through podcasting, even if there's no video, if it's just audio format, by having these types of conversations, you can really get to know someone. I've never met you in person, like you mentioned, but even after yesterday's phone call, and, and I'm sure after this episode, I'll feel a much deeper connection with you. And hopefully one day we can meet in person, and now we have common points to to follow up on, to talk about. And who knows, 10 years from now, that might be an extremely beneficial relationship, but even if it's not, at least I've made a new friend. And to me, that's really exciting and interesting way of doing it that has not always been available when you think about about the long term of history, relying on mail and things like that. So audio and podcasting has drastically changed how people can network, kind of tying back to, to what you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, what a gift, right? Um, and, and thank you. Yeah, I, I feel like... Uh, we're already nearing the friendship mark and we're only 20 minutes in, um, but uh, which is great. Um, but I feel like we're sort of blessed in many ways that, okay, podcasting certainly is a way to make new friends. Um, but there's these technologies, um, you know, we see that a lot surrounding Jupiter Broadcasting. And I think any online community um, is that, for instance, like Telegram groups are exploding everywhere. And, um, you know, for Jupiter Broadcasting, it's almost up to a thousand members now. And there's this way that connecting with people there, even via text, which generally is, you know, not as rich a, a way to connect, you still feel like there's this... Re real closeness that gets established after you spend a little bit of time there and you see the same people over and over and over again. So, um, there's this real strength in community and I know, uh, so you may be able to agree, but I know that there's a lot of people in tech who are, um, maybe not the most socially skilled or they have, you know, we all have our little like awkwardness here and there, uh, when it comes to social stuff, but there's this, this real way that, um, that gets broken down in a lot of these communities. And I think that's really helpful because, like you said, there are some people that can communicate better in, in different mediums. You know, I might be read, better at writing. I may not be as good at speaking or vice versa. And having these different kinds of mediums that people can use to socialize helps them get out of that bubble that otherwise they might not get out of. And that way they can explore different areas of life that they wouldn't have the opportunity to do. So, no, I think community is extremely important. That's something that I really value and enjoy being in the position that I am today where we have such a, a big community and we I get to talk to people and meet people on a weekly basis that otherwise I wouldn't necessarily have the opportunity to do that with. And so that's something that I, I definitely cherish. Well, that sounds amazing and a, and a really nice segue. So tell me a little bit about um, how you spend your every day and w what you're doing, where you are, uh, how that connects with community. Yeah, of course. 
I'm the VP of growth here at Linux Academy. I've, I've been with Linux Academy for three and a half years, going on to four years in, in a couple of, no, three, three, four months. Yeah, hard to believe it's already September, uh, but in, in January, it'll be four years, which, you know, that's, that's a good chunk of time. And, and I've worn a lot of different hats over that, that four-year period. But right now, I really focus on higher-level partnerships. So who can we collaborate with to provide even more value to our community? And also working very closely with our sales and marketing teams. Uh, since I do have a more technical background, I can help a lot of times in more technical conversations, or I can also help reach some other audiences through these mediums like podcasts and speaking and just kind of help evangelize what we do at Linux Academy. And I've been doing this for uh, probably six months, seven months, something like that. So really starting to to feel like I'm getting more and more traction, which feels awesome. Already developing some great relationships with potential partners or existing partners and and getting to embed myself a little bit more in communities. And, and again, like we were just talking about, that's something that I really cherish. So I'm enjoying that tremendously right now. You're like chasing a bunch of your different loves all at the same time, right? Your love for technical stuff, your love for community, your love for just playing around. That's, I, I think that's great when you can combine your unique skills into areas that um, I, there's a real strength in combining like what are seemingly unassociated um, realms, you know, development and community. Most people see that as disassociated, but sounds like for a long time now you've seen them as connected right even with the podcast that's a theme i'm seeing here well and it's it's the non-traditional career paths that nobody really talks to you about you don't even know that that exists until it becomes what it becomes or you organically fall into it but no it's it's very interesting one of my mentors a few years back said think about what two things you're most passionate about and the intersection of those two things is really where you should apply your passions and for me those two things have always kind of been technology in general and then business as well. So I really enjoy business, helping build things that provide value to people, but also really like technology and combining those two has been a great fit for me because I don't really like doing one specific thing over a longer period of time. I really like to be able to switch and switch context, try different things. You're an experimenter. So, experimenter, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And so being able to kind of jump back and forth in all those different areas is something I, I enjoy a lot. It's It's... It's definitely a lot of fun. There's probably a cadence for you, like every three or four years, you sort of flow into something new, right? Like the podcast is one thing and you were doing that on the side for, for some time. And it sounds like you've moved a little bit around Linux Academy. And I think that's really the way to do it, right? Is like moving around and trying different things. You never know sort of what you might trip into that works really well for you. Like there sounds like there's some synergy in what you're doing now. Um, maybe you're addicted to that and and you'll stick around for a little longer, who knows? But um, I could imagine that you're doing some really cool cool work. Well, and the day-to-day -day is is so different. Right? Today, I might be doing something. On Monday, I might be doing something completely different. And so that always keeps me on my toes. I like that kind of chaos. I don't like it to be too chaotic, of course, but I do like some chaos in my <laughs> in my week-by-week -week basis. There's a balance, isn't there? Yes, yes. A little bit too much is not good either. But uh, no, I do like some chaos. I know some people like more stability. And so it's good to have a mixture, a diversity of, of different characters and skill sets. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely a little bit more on the chaotic side. And I, I seem to thrive in those environments, which is might sound weird <laughs> to some people, but I'm sure some of the people People can definitely relate to that. <laughs> um, is it a treat for you that you've, you've sort of found um, the, the kind of chaos that's, that sounds like the right balance for you? 
Oh, uh, definitely. Uh, it's it's something I, I talk to my wife all the time about uh, because she's had a hard time trying to figure out her footing in some ways. And so sometimes she'll even tell me, you know, I'm, I'm so jealous that you've you've kind of found your footing or or lack of footing, which I appreciate. <laughs> and so I, I do know some people are, are still trying to figure that out. I feel like I've hit a pretty good stride. Of course, things change over time and, and uh, maybe interests can change over time as well. But overall, I just, I seem to flow pretty well with the wind. And so, so far, so good. <laughs> what about you? How, do, do you feel like you relate a little bit more on the experimenter side, on, on the thriving in chaos, or do you typically like a little bit more stability? Yeah, I mean, I have been self-employed for most of my professional life, um, which you might be able to relate to. So uh, there's this crazy amount of chaos that comes with that. And which I think I've learned to love. Uh, I don't think I was very good at it at first, but I was so motivated um, for the end goal, which was doing some photography work, uh, that it's just become a lifestyle necessity for me now. It's like you mentioned, every day is a little bit different. I absolutely love that. Every day is a little bit of a different challenge, a little bit of a different puzzle. And I've had sort of more nine to five roles for very brief periods of time while I still did photography. And um, while I found that was nice for a short time, uh, it just became sort of like shackles almost um, for me. Uh, it was the kind of, well, I worked at a local uh, food co-op for a little while, which was an amazing experience. Um, but it was a sort of a nine to five thing, even though I tried to make it my own hours, <laughs> um, to some people's chagrin. Uh, and, uh, and I just realized like that this, the freedom that I get with, um, freelancing and with taking on a whole bunch of different types of projects at the same time is, is really lovely. Um, and has its own challenges, right? So it sounds like for you, you've found sort of a nice blend of that, which is stability as far as, you know, you've got, a great employer and um it sounds like you have a great family life and you've been in the same town for a while too um but then within that there's this chaos that really works for you so sounds like you found that stride and and just to relate to your wife a little bit i know that everybody sort of reaches that stride at a different point and some people find it super early um i feel like i've been lucky that i found it pretty early and had a lot of mentors help me get there uh, but not everybody gets to it as soon, but um, have faith. It's out there. You can get it, right? That's, that's a really good point that you make, about, especially about the length of time that it can take you to find your stride, because the fact of the matter is, me starting the Scaly Code podcast, which I just kind of thought, hey, one day I'm going to give this a shot, see how it works. That's what led to me being in the position that I'm in today and, and with Linux Academy. And if I had never started that podcast, I am willing to bet I would have probably never heard of Linux Academy or at least ha not have heard of them until many years later and probably not have a job here. And so it's funny how those types of things line up together when that wasn't even your original plan at all. They just kind of show up. And in some cases, you decide, yes, I want to pursue that. Or in other cases, it may not be the right fit at the right time. I won't pursue it. That leads to other doors opening. And I've always been fascinated by that. I know a lot of people think about it as well. It's so interesting how those types of events lead to something else. And when you look back at the chain of events, you thought, how in the world did all of that line up the way that it did? That's insane. I can't believe that happened. Yeah, so much of it you can't predict, right? Absolutely. Most of it you can't. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but there's something too about like taking chances, right? Um, starting the podcast for you, I'm sure was an uncomfortable thing when you first started. Uh, and you had to skill up pretty fast to make it seem professional when you're inviting all these pretty high end people onto the podcast. Um, and so taking those chances sometimes will get you places that you can't even really imagine, right? Um, just showing up somewhere is often enough to just sort of shake it up and give you some new ideas and some new like crossroads to go explore. And I actually ended up, I, I quit my part-time job that I was doing while I was going to school to help pay for some of those bills. It wasn't a high paying job. I was making nine bucks an hour anyway. So not like it was a huge dent in my, my paychecks or anything like that. But I know my, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, was not entirely sure what I was doing because that seemed like a very odd thing. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, going from, yeah, exactly. Going from making at least some kind of paycheck, even if it's just nine bucks an hour to uh, making zero dollars an hour, there's a clear difference there. And then, uh, you know, I started getting sponsorships after a few months. And so I started making some income there. But even then, it wasn't all that much money. It was just more of, I want to do this to be able to learn. I was very young. I had the opportunity to do it. The risk was fairly small when you think about it. I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a dog. And so that that helped me be able to, to take some of those risks, and they ended up paying off. So it's it's also something to, to look at. And then eventually she started understanding, oh, I get why you did this now. I, I understand I'm supporting you 100%. And that's, that was also extremely helpful. So there's definitely some risk to all of it. But I think sometimes people might see more risk than there actually is, or they're not thinking about the other side of risk, which is the opportunity cost of not taking that risk. So those, those are definitely some other things to, to keep in mind when you're making some really significant decisions in your life. Yeah. And um, actually one piece of advice that I learned from Seth Gooday um, is that sometimes the riskiest thing you can do is to not take the risk. To stay in the same place sometimes is sort of giving up the possibilities of what might be on the other side. So good on you for, for taking a risk, for sure. I actually had no idea how to pronounce his last name, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. I've read his name so many times, I've never heard it said in <laughs> speaking. So it's like, wait, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that comes across a lot with like um, programming languages and like just words around software, right? It's like none of us actually know how to say it, even though we've seen it and read it and worked with it so often. <laughs> I get called out on SQL versus SQL so many times. It just slips out because I come from a Microsoft background. So I say SQL and everybody's like, no, it's SQL. And I'm like, I know. I just, <laughs> who cares? Let's move on. <laughs> same thing. We're both talking about the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know somebody's going to go in the comments and say, no, it's SQL. And I agree. It's, you're right. <laughs> I think it's all really fun. It's part of the culture of like, um, part of the game really of just um how we exist in this space so uh it's kind of like i don't know it's kind of like stickers to me it's kind of fun and and there's kind of these background jokes about it all so i like it it's fascinating how that works the whole like gif gif thing I'm still undecided about that one i still don't know what it is I, I read somewhere apparently the the creator of it came out with the correct answer but i don't i don't know i have no idea but who says like it's not even his to decide anymore i don't think so that's a good point <laughs> <laughs> once you throw it out there. <laughs> yeah, once you throw it out there and it gets to a certain scale, I don't know that you have a whole lot of, of say-so on it. Yeah, Seth is a really cool um, person to check out, I think. Um, he's primarily a marketer, uh, but there's a lot of little life nuggets that can apply to any field in there. 
I don't know if you still follow his stuff, but it sounds like you read his stuff quite often. From time to time, I really like his thinking about what he calls the lizard brain. I think that's really interesting. And a lot of times I kind of forget about that and I have to go back to some of his his writings to to think through, okay, yeah, I've, I can definitely see some near-term experiences where I've I've let my lizard brain make the decisions for me. And if you're not familiar with what the lizard brain is, definitely check it out. It's, it's definitely very interesting. Can you give us like a Coles notes sort of version? Yeah, this is very rough around the edges. So don't quote me on it, but it's, it's something along the lines of, you know, your lizard brain. I mean, we, we've evolved over time as hum- human beings. And so we came from a time when we had to hunt for our food. We didn't really have a whole lot of shelter. So danger was everywhere around us. And so our brain is just triggered in a way to find that danger and to squash that danger or, or escape the danger. And so a lot of times when we make decisions, we let our quote, lizard brain or prehistoric brain make life or death uh, and life-threatening decisions for us when in reality, it's not really like that at all. And because of all the security that we now have around us, but that can lead us to making really bad decisions such as passing up fantastic opportunities because we're afraid of sending that email to DHH because he's such a well-known person. If I had let my lizard brain say, no, that's too dangerous. What if you fail? Again, who cares? It's just a no. It's not actually going to kill me. It's not like somebody's going to come out and, and, and stab me or something like that, right? So it's not letting that lizard brain, which is the flight or fight response, take, take control of very important decisions and, and really trying to think about it more logically, I guess. You know, um, that can be applied everywhere. Exactly. Like you were talking about how the lizard brain can come into um, decisions. And I was thinking, yeah, that would come into both like instinctual decisions that just happen sort of on autopilot, but also decisions that you sit there and ponder about for weeks and weeks, right? It's like trying to distinguish between what is the emotional reaction to um, decisions and what is also like the logical reaction. Um, It sounds like starting the podcast, you kind of had to figure that out. And I'm sure that applies to a whole bunch of areas, but maybe it was your uh, lizard brain that made you... um, hit enter on that prematurely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, who knows, right? It's like, I know what that shortcut is, but I, I hit it, quote unquote, <laughs> accidentally. Uh, who knows? Maybe it wasn't so accidentally after all. <laughs> yeah, I find it fascinating too in that, like, we're so lucky to have all this technology and stuff, right? And uh, so very seldom is anything ever life and death and requiring of sort of this prehistoric knowledge, right? Um, So just reminding yourself of that more often than not, I think is a helpful exercise. So thank you for sharing that. That's great. Yeah. I think that's the main takeaway is really thinking through that. So that's a great point. Right. Um, And I know Tim Ferriss has something similar. I've listened to quite a bit of Tim Ferriss' stuff as well. Not so much lately. I need to get back on, on some of his podcast episodes, but I know he's He's kind of got some very similar trains of thoughts and uh, does a lot of experimenting or thinking through things uh, scientifically as well. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um, have you read some of his books, actually? Yeah, Tim Ferriss has actually been like a quasi mentor to me, even though, you know, these people don't really realize it. Maybe a role model is the better uh, <laughs> word for it. Um, but I discovered more about myself in reading Tim Ferriss than I have ever before i would say fascinating and it's not necessarily because he and i are exactly the same 
I wouldn't say that at all, but more so because the way he approaches problems and the way he approaches life in trying to dissect it is very compatible with my way of thinking. Um, and so the four hour uh, work week was the first one I dove into, which totally turned my life upside down. I know it's a pretty famous book, but if you haven't picked it up yet, it's a, it's slightly outdated now. I mean, it has a revision, but it was it's it's still worth its weight in gold and just shifting uh, your mentality and how you see the world and how you see work and how you see uh, even the ways that you are productive. Uh, but there's a lot of decision-making stuff in there, um, which is really fascinating. Uh, have you read some of Tim's stuff? I have here and there. I've never sat down and read uh, the entirety of his books. I did pick up part of the four-hour chef and uh, I think that's the name of it. And then the four-hour work, work week that you talked about. And the, the other interesting thing that kind of ties in with the whole lizard brain conversation is, if I remember correctly, I think he, he did he start with the four hour work week or was it the, the four hour chef? Do you remember? The four hour work week uh, was, was the start. Yeah. That was the start. Okay. So that, that's probably the one that the publishers didn't want to touch. They thought, no, this is not going to sell. You know, even the title itself is, is crazy. Nobody's going to buy this. It's a hoax or whatever. And so he ended up using torrenting sites to make people download it. And then I, I don't remember if it was the whole version of it or part of it that had some kind of promo code in it, and then you could go and buy it. But that's kind of how it helped it become viral and grow. And can you imagine, though, like if, if you – most people, I think, would have heard that from publishers and said, okay, well, I'm packing my bags. Obviously, this is not going to work. If they don't think it's going to work, they have all this experience. I'm just wasting my time. This is not a good idea. He said, you know what? No, I'm going to try a different approach. If they don't want to sell my book, I'll do it myself. And so thinking about, again, the lizard brain, he was able to shut that out and, and try it out anyway because what's the worst that could happen? It flops. Oh, well, I move on. But at least I'll have tr tried it out. Yeah, it's not the classic model, right? And so that... Um can throw some people off a little bit. Um, but that, that reminds me of the story you were just saying of like, um, education and Java and not finding what you were looking for. And, and so you kind of reached for that, like not quite standard model either. Um, and there's real value in that. Yeah. It's going to turn off, you know, most publishers <laughs> if you're trying to put out a book. Um, but look where he's come now. Right. And, uh, uh so it's totally worth, um, trying for sure. You mentioned uh, the four hour chef. I want to dive into that a little bit because I think it's a fascinating book. Um, you can get an audiobook version of it too, that only reaches into like maybe 20% of it. Um, cause it's a really visual book. Um, but I would recommend it definitely to a lot of people who are in tech. Um, the title, as you know, is, um, perfectly on point and yet also slightly misleading. Yes. Um, can you explain why? Well, I haven't read a whole lot of it. I know I read some sections here and there, but one of the the interesting takeaways that I've gotten from those types of work, and I think also this is very relevant to the tech industry, is uh, you know I don't really consider myself a very expert in one specific area. Like I don't have deep knowledge in, in one specific area. I've got more knowledge in certain areas like AWS and PHP and things like that than say Ruby and Azure or whatever. But I wouldn't consider myself a very deep expert of it. But one of the things I really liked about The 4-Hour Chef is that he talks about kind of deconstructing the food and trying to get the distinct flavors 
in a specific dish. And that kind of helps you figure out, okay, if I go to this restaurant and I'm, I'm able to taste all these different flavors, I can reverse engineer what the food is. But I don't need all of this expertise in order to make great dishes. I just need to be able to to get good at that skill of deconstructing things. And I think that can definitely apply to technology as well, especially if you want to be more of a generalist. You can kind of deconstruct different services within, say, AWS or Linux or whatever it is that you're trying to learn. You don't have to become a deep expert of it. You can learn the techniques of how to learn those services, how to learn that technology, how to install things. And once you get that knowledge, you can figure out most things that are out there. Like it, it it's a very interesting concept that um, I don't know if those books taught me that, but it, it definitely helped me, re- me reinforce that understanding of, of the world around me. So that doesn't necessarily answer your question directly, but that's kind of the main takeaways that I got from those types of books. You know, it actually does answer my question because my take on the book um, is that it's a guide to learning disguised as sort of a a guide to cooking. And so much of the lessons are distilled into cooking. So you you took like the the dissecting I use dissecting maybe that's the wrong word but <laughs> but distilling um a complex dish into its individual parts, right? And so that seems like a really simple concept when you apply it to food. It's like okay, well there's a um a taste element there that's really fascinating and it can simplify cooking for a lot of people, right? If you've not had your mom or grandmother or someone in your life who's taught you cooking, it's it's a way of very simply, you know, diving into a complex dish one at a time and, and wrapping your head around it, which is really great. But exactly like you said, if you if you apply that concept a little bit everywhere, then it's just a method for learning just about anything, right? It's like look at look at the complexity, break it down into the parts that make sense to you. And then all of a sudden, um, it seems both much less of a burden to approach it, but also then you start understanding the interconnections, which are really fascinating, right? And not everybody uh, has that skill either. The I love how you mentioned that interconnections there at the end, because I think that's really what it boils down to is once you understand those, you're able to create those interconnections. It opens up a lot of other opportunities and you start to realize I can do a lot more with my skill set and I can learn a lot more. The sky is the limit. And it's it's like with being a chef, I, I have no interest in being a world-class class chef. Even if I did have interest, I probably would never be able to do it just because that's not my skill set. But I do want to be able to to make a decent dish, especially if I have people coming over or if I have a family. And so teach me the ways of learning so that I can make a good dish. I don't have to be world class. And I think that's the main takeaway from it, which I like a lot just because I feel like I'm more of a generalist in that sense. I think that's a misconception often is that there's actually a real craft in being a generalist. And it's often said that, you know, um, that you need to find a niche um, or, uh, what's the saying? Um, oh, I'm blanking on it now. Master trade masters. You're going to fill it in for me here. Master of many. Oh, Jack of all trades. Jack of all trades, master of none, right? That comes up often. And, uh, I think that's kind of wrong. Like for you, you have skill sets in a whole bunch of different things and it's the combination of those that makes it really, um, the mastery is the combination. Uh, and so I would say master of many perhaps is really what it, it should be changed to. I read an article recently, I think in the last week or two, that was specific to, to Elon Musk and like him or hate him. I think this was a, a very good point, which is 
a lot of people are trying to understand, you know, how is this person so successful in what he does and how is he able to start all these things and they're doing fairly well. And one of the, this article made the point that he learned a lot of different things in different industries and was able to interconnect those industries. And that made him be able to think outside the box and have those visions that if you just stuck to that one industry and became a master in that one industry would be almost impossible to really think about in those terms. And so that ties into the 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 jack of all trades or, or being able to explore different areas and then bridging that gap. One other example of that that I also recently found, which is why it's top of mind, is about a book called um, Biomimicry. That's what it is. The book I think is called Biomimicry. I'll have to double check, but if not, I'm sure you can Google it. I've, I've heard of, I've heard this title. Yeah, tell me more about it. It's 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 looking at a lot of our complex societal problems in terms of how nature solves those problems. A lot of times we have ideas and we think, okay, we're going to fix this. We're going to build this bridge. We're going to do this. We're going to do that using human minds and, and thinking through the problem from an, an engineering problem solving uh, perspective. But oftentimes that's incredibly inefficient and ineffective. Whereas if we study the way that human nature has already solved that problem, even if it's in a completely different area, we're able to make it a lot more effective, a lot more efficient, uh, more resource-friendly, and and so on. And so I find that notion fascinating. And again, that's not something that's easy to do unless you have exposure to those other areas or unless you think outside the box and outside of your industry. So I, I also find that fairly fascinating. Right. So the it sounds like the real skill is like the 100,000-foot view where you see all these different industries and how they interrelate and where the gaps are. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, it's it's very good to be a specialist as well. We definitely need specialists like dermatologists and cardiovascular surgeons and things like that. So there's definitely a need for both. But I, I, like you said earlier, I think there's oftentimes people overlook the generalist and the importance that those people serve in society as well. Well, and I think it, it's also true that we wear many hats, right? So you could be a specialist in a particular area and a generalist in eight other areas. That's true. And so that's one trap I've been working on lately is like our desire to simplify most things to try to understand them. Well, that's a really useful tool. It's, it's also a bit dangerous in that we, we miss the, the sort of details. Right. And actually that's in a meadow kind of level, exactly related to what we're talking about. <laughs> that can definitely happen if you're not careful. Yeah. <laughs> definitely seen that happen. Tell me a little bit about um, some other books that you're reading. Is it sounds like you read quite a bit? Is there is there another book you're reading recently that's really uh, kind of grabbed you? So I, t I tend to jump back and forth between books. I think that goes back to my uh, what we were talking about, where I like to do different things at the same time, mm -hmm. which is something I'm, I'm trying to change a little bit. But anyway, long story short, I'm reading a few different books right now. One of which is a biography. I really like reading biographies, especially around businessmen or technologists. In this case, I'm reading about Thomas Mellon. And so he was a, a banker, a financier, and one of the, the things, he also became the Secretary of State at one point. And so they had just recently enacted prohibition. And he wasn't really for prohibition, but he was supposed to support pro prohibition, enforce it. And so it's, it's always interesting to look at history from that different lens, the bi biographic, 
biographical lens instead of just what you might have heard in school or might have heard in the newspaper because it, shed, it sheds a different light. So I've always found these types of biographies to be really fascinating, especially when they're, they're not autobiographies. They've really been researched and, and the person has kind of dedicated their life to, to finding as many resources as possible. I've always find, found those interesting. Otherwise, I'm also reading books on uh, marketing like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, if you've heard of him. Mm, yes. He's a very, very loud, loud voice in terms of marketing. A lot of people either really like him or really dislike him. There's not a whole lot in between, I don't think. I tend to really like him in smaller doses. I think he's got fantastic messages most of the time. And so I'm reading his book, uh, Crushing It, I believe is, is what it's called. And so I've, I've just started. I'm just getting into it. So I don't really know what it's like yet. But I'm reading a lot of books at the same time. <laughs> so I'm going to make a connection to a conversation. Um, to Tim Ferriss and also to Gary Vaynerchuk that you just mentioned. Um, so th the way that I got connected to both of those um, is that early on, this might have been 2012 when I was listening to podcasts. I was relatively new to podcasts back then. Um, certainly was listening to Jupiter Broadcasting um, Linux Action Show at that time. But um, I was also listening to um, a show called uh, The Solopreneur Hour. And so I was interested in that because I was, well, a solopreneur would be like, you know, an entrepreneur, but you're just one person. Um, so that was me at the time and still is. Um, but there, uh, Michael, the host, um, had a list of five books that you have to read if you're interested in that landscape. Um, and it sounds like you're diving into some of those as well. And so one of the books was Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week. And another one of the books was Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, crush it. Um, and there's an audiobook version of that book. I don't know if you like audiobooks, but Gary Vaynerchuk does it himself and it is hilarious. <laughs> it's super amazing and it has some stories that aren't in the book as well. Um, but that's a great book. And I had read it um, before and listened to it before seeing some of his like um, talks and things like that. And you're right. He, um, he has this way of communicating ideas that's straightforward and hard to argue with and yet is a slightly abrasive yes definitely and so i'm with you i can take him in small doses but the messages that he's giving are really powerful and that kind of goes back to, I feel like I know the guy so well just because I've followed his content for years and years and years, even though he's never heard of who I am before. And so I watch one day I'll run into this, I'll be in the streets of New York or something. I'll run into him and, and that will be a really interesting conversation. But it, it's funny how that works and how you can feel like you're developing a, a relationship with somebody that doesn't even know you exist. So that's always funny how that works. Uh, but no, he's got some great insights for sure. It sounds like you're a voracious learner. It sounds like you can never stop. Has this been true um, your whole life? I think so. Yeah, it's uh, definitely true, especially when I hit my 20s, I would say early 20s, uh, late teens. But I've always been pretty interested in, in learning just oddly enough not really learning in school, didn't necessarily have the best grades. And in fact, I was just thinking about this when you were talking about reading different books. I hated, 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 hated reading in school. I don't think I ever read a single one of the books that they assigned to you. I always went for the cliff notes <laughs> and just kind of got lucky on the exams. Like I was pretty good at getting lucky on exams, apparently. But um, I just couldn't stand, yeah, I couldn't stand reading those types of books. And then I, sometime in my late teens, I started reading these business articles and, and other stuff like that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick up a, a copy of John D. Rockefeller's biography because 
I've been reading a lot of conflicting things about him. Like some people were really didn't like him and, and other people were like, wow, he, he built one of the most successful businesses and monopolies in the world. And like, well, let's check it out. What, what kind of person was he like? I'm really curious to find out now. And so I pick up this monster book. It's a huge book. It's like a dictionary size book. And I hate reading. I hate reading. I picked that book up. I finished it in probably three, four months. You should have seen the look on my parents' face because the entire time I'm in school, they're frustrated that I won't read these books. And then I bring home this dictionary-sized book and finish reading it in three, four months. And, and that's really what triggered my, my interest in other biographies and stuff like that. So that goes to show you it's not because you don't like doing something in one specific area, i.e. reading the books that they assign you in school. It doesn't mean you won't like doing other things in the same area, like reading, which is, is 100% the case <laughs> with books for me. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's one of the joys of books as well, is that there's a book on every single topic, right? And so you can find these um, niches that align very well with your interests. And so, okay, for you, maybe... Um, what was being assigned in class wasn't wasn't sort of filling, wasn't touching what you needed uh, in terms of like the interest Venn diagram, right? And so it, it just seems crazy to me that that's the first one you chose. Like when you picked it up off the bookshelf, didn't you think like, oh, geez, I'm getting myself, you know, in deep waters here? You know, that, that's a good question. I Was that not a concern? <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. And I don't know why, probably just because I thought if I don't like this book, whatever, I'll just take it back to the library. I just rented it for free from the library. Thankfully they had a copy of it. So yes, and no loss, right? Yeah. And no loss. If, if I'm bored, if I don't like it, then totally fine. But I remember staying up a few nights. I, usually I go to bed, you know, maybe 11, 12. I, I stayed up until probably three, 4 AM reading the book until my, my eyes couldn't keep reading. And you're talking about extremely dry material from a biography and here I am staying up late in the night, can't, can't put the book down. And I knew I'd, I'd hit, hit something that I was interested in. And, and that kind of developed the uh, interest for other biographies. So it's, it's funny. You have to try these things out. You can't think about it. You can't strategize it. You just have to try it. If you don't like it, then move on, take it back to the library. If you do like it, then you've discovered something that's going to potentially change your life, right? It's, it's hilarious how that works. It's funny, like every single thing you try necessarily changes your life. You just don't know how yet, right? Yes. And so for you, one book led to another book led to another book, and all of a sudden you've got that completely different understanding of the world, right? Uh, 100%. Biographies will do that to you. Other types of books will do that to you. Now I, I can't help but think of current events, uh, You know, whether you're, you're talking about certain companies that are under fire now for, for potentially being too big with antitrust laws and and now when I see those cases happening right now, I can't help but relate it to John D. Rockefeller and, and the monopoly he had with Standard Oil and how that broke the, how they broke that up, but how that actually ended up making him more money because they broke it up. And so it, it's hilarious how, you again, interconnection, I, I love that you use that word, interconnection, everything at some level has some sort of interconnection that if I'd never read that book or studied it, I would never make that connection. And now that I have, who knows, that might help me at some point if I have my own business or if I'm helping somebody else with their own business, who, who knows, right? You never know what where that's going to pop up and help you out. That sounds amazing. Um, there's something really fascinating too about repeating history, right? Like um, we're seeing the Google and Facebook and stuff moving in directions that some of these old like uh, steel businesses and banking businesses and, and those kind of things did, right? Exactly. The turn of the century and those kind of things. So um, 
it's all just happening again, just in a slightly different context. It's completely different, and the, and yet it's completely the same at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fascinating. It really is. I love it. I love history at that level. Yeah. If for someone like me, who you're the second person to tell me that biographies change their life, um, the other one is um, my mentor and longtime friend, Rob. He is like a total biography guy. He um, can't take them in enough. Um, are there like a top three biographies you would recommend? I would say it really depends on who you're interested in, or maybe kind of audit yourself and see, I'm more interested in these kinds of industries, or I'm more, I look up to these types of people right now. Like if you have any specific heroes, you know, maybe it's a, a musical person. So start with the easy ones that make sense and then move on maybe in bigger, bigger and like concentric circles. Exactly. I would say some of my top ones though, just out of personal preference, I really like the biography of Vanderbilt. I don't know why. I just really, really <laughs> like the way that that was written and, and how it works. And um, so that was a good one. I see. So there's how you relate to the story, but also how you relate to the author, right? How you relate to the author, how it's written, um, how do you how you relate to the subject, if at all. In some we, in some ways, I find myself relating to people that I'm reading about, even though we actually don't really have a whole lot in common, kind of going back to what you mentioned about Tim Ferriss. You may have very little in common, but for some reason you find some kind of relation there. It's, it's very odd, but yeah, totally. So Vanderbilt, you said, um, is there one or two others? Vanderbilt is one. Uh, the, the John D. Rockefeller one was very interesting, if you have any interest in that. Um, J.P. Morgan, I like... I like reading about the history of banking and finance and how that works. I know very little about it and how it works, but reading through history, I think there's very few industries that have shaped the world the way that it is today uh, compared to banking and finance. I mean, you're talking about people that that changed the face of wars, that changed the face of society and the growth of a nation. And they're really at the center of it. And so even though I have very little understanding of it, being able to, to read about biographies of people that were leading those types of firms in the, in the past has shed a new light on what's happening today with the economy and, and things like that. So I find that pretty interesting as well. I would say those are probably my top three that I have on my bookshelf right now. Yeah, those sound fascinating. I think I'll definitely check those out. I've been meaning to dive into biographies for a while now, um, but maybe this is the perfect start. So thanks for those. That's great. Yeah. Go go on Amazon or go to the library and, and pick one up that seems interesting and, and, and go from there. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like uh, taking risks, like you were mentioning earlier, right? You never know what you're going to find in there, but the first step is just picking it up. Try it out. See, what, see if it fits or not. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, tell me a little bit about um, some stuff that's going on now. I, I know you're doing a study group with L coming up. Yes. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? And it's, it's actually about to wrap up. So the last study group that we'll have is on the 25th, at least for this cloud practitioner or this round of, of the cloud practitioner study group. And so the cloud practitioner, I know, is a very good entry point for a lot of people, especially if they don't come from a technical background or if they're switching from completely unrelated background in IT to the AWS cloud. And they're looking for something to help them stay on track with learning and applying themselves. 
the cloud practitioner has been very helpful for a lot of people that I know. And so I get a lot of questions about it as well. And so I thought, you know what, let's go ahead and do a study group. Let's help get as many people to pass the exam as possible um, and get practical skills out of it. And so I started the the study group a couple months back with Elle, Elle Marquez on the community team here at Linux Academy. She's been awesome, very supportive, and has helped make, uh, make the study group a great success. We've already got some reported passes, which makes me so happy. That was the whole goal of it. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. And again, the last one is on Wednesday, and, and I can't wait to see how many more people take the exam after that and, and end up passing it. Or even if they don't pass it, uh, keep trying and, and eventually get it. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. It's been a great experience so far. Nice. It sounds like a, a nice way for you to kind of give back a little bit with all the knowledge you've gained. Yes. Yes. I love that just because sometimes it can be very hard to start. And so if you have somebody that's there that can help guide and through the landscape that can be pretty intimidating. Otherwise, uh, that's something that I enjoy doing. And so the, the study group has been a great outlet to do that. And we'll see, maybe I'll be able to conduct other study groups in the future for other topics. I, I don't think we've decided yet. So that's up in the air, but uh, depending on the feedback that we get too, right. And, and, and the success of it, but so far it's been very rewarding and uh, it's exceeded my expectations. So I'm very very happy about it. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, good for you. That's amazing. Uh, and so if um, some of the community members want to get connected with you in some way, where would you send them? So whether it's or whatever reason it's for, even if it's not professional or professional, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I know that can seem like a very stuffy and professional platform, but <laughs> I, I have all kinds of conversations on there. People that are willing to connect, just send me an invite. I'll be happy to, to chat via the, the LinkedIn messenger. I also post a lot of content on there on a weekly basis. So you can get tips and tricks, nice. career advice, especially for, for cloud career advice, which I get questions about all the time. And so you know, anything related to, to certifications, training, career advice, I do post about quite a bit. So if that's your thing, if that's what you're interested in, definitely connect or follow my uh, Christoph Limpler account on the uh, on LinkedIn. Nice. That sounds great. I have heard repeatedly that LinkedIn is a really valuable place for a lot of people. So um, I, I think, yeah, if you haven't um, connected on LinkedIn, go dive in this. It's kind of surprising. It's one of those places where a lot of serendipitous connection happens. So that's a great place to send people. Um, and as far as one little fun little thing, do you have an ask of the community? Um, something you'd love for everybody to kind of check out or something you'd like for them to um, uh, have a look at? I think going along the theme of what we talked about today, maybe as an action item after listening to this, maybe grab a, a pen and pencil or your laptop and write down a thought or an idea or an action item that you've never completed because your lizard brain or, or whatever you want to call it prevented you from, from doing that and reconsider whether it was a, a founded fear or whether it's something that you really should try to pursue and, and give it, a, give it a shot. And, and if it does work or even if it doesn't work and you want to, to share that with me, I would love to hear that. Uh, I always love to connect people on, on their successes or even their failures to see if there's anything or any value I can bring or any help I can provide. So feel free to reach out if you do have one of those things and you don't know where to start, or if you do have one of those things and you're going to give it a shot after listening to this, that would honestly make my day. So don't hesitate. Wow. That sounds amazing. And I'm going to support that ask by saying that, um, you can check out Tim Ferriss's fear setting exercise, uh, which can often help you get through um, some tasks that you've been wanting to tackle for a long time, but are just stuck for some reason. Well, thank you. 
Christoph. This was really super fun, and I hope that we can get to meet in person sometime. And uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation, both online and offline. Completely. Uh, I'm sure we'll find a good reason to run into each other at some point. But, Brandon, it was really nice to get to know you. And again, I appreciate you being on the show. And uh, anybody listening, thanks for tuning in and don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, let's chat soon. <laughs>